0: Good morning, gallery. Good morning. Hope all are well. Just want to welcome you to Gallery Church. I'm so excited for you all to be here, and just we're just looking forward to what God has in store for us this morning. Um, I have a few announcements that I need to make, and then we can proceed to our prayer generosity. Um, so if this is your first time here and you would like more information about our church or you just need a, any assistance, please reach out to us at gethelp at gcbdowntown.com or click on the get, help, get Connected button on the app. So if you need to have access to the app, that app is on the Apple Store and our Google Store. And you just look for Gallery Church Baltimore, and you will select the downtown um, location. And again, you will see that get connected button once you access the um, church location. If um, today Baltimore City is um, starting its parking enforcement, and so if you received a parking tag to park on the side of the church, um, please make sure that you return those um, tags. Um, you can slide them in the mailbox, which is at the gatehouse. Moving on, um, summer series. So over the month of July, we were engaged at Pastor Ellis's house for just summer growth sessions. And so we have one more summer session left, and that will be at the end of this month, August the 25th. That is a Wednesday night. And so please go to the app. We just talked about it. Um, So that you can sign up for the summer session. Again, that is Wednesday, August 25th. During the summer, Pastor Ellis has encouraged us to read two books as part of our just increasing spiritual growth. And so those two books are What If Jesus Was Serious? And it focuses on the Sermon on the Mount. And I focus on that because he's also encouraged us to Read the Sermon of Mount, which is Matthews 5, 6, and 7, through the summer and memorize those passages or memorize a portion of those passages. And so that is our first book that we are encouraged to read. Our second book is – why am I blanking? Terrence Lester, When We Stand. Thank you. And so we are encouraging everyone to read those two books as part of our summer reading series. This week, you should have received an email from Gallery Church, it's our newsletter. And that newsletter was encouraging, soliciting, and nicely pleading for help. Um, As we have gone through this portion of the pandemic and a lot has changed in our body, but we are still moving forward and we need help in hosting and in our AV group and in growth community leaders and so if you are interested in helping in those areas please go back to the newsletter you can see myself or albert and you can just gain more information about the needs of the church again we are encouraging you to seek in your heart how you can be more of a service to the body finally um we are asking, the deacons have been asking for the last couple of weeks for gift cards for grocery stores. So, if you are have some extra in your heart to give, we are encouraging you to provide gift cards to local grocery stores in the denominations of $25 and $50. and Or you can also do gift cards. We are appreciative to those who have given already. We thank you uh, because... Um, Those gifts really are going to be helpful to those in our body as well as in our community. And so we just appreciate all that you have been able to give up to this point. And so we are now, if there are any other updates, we will move into our prayer of generosity.
1: This walking is loud on stage. Um, Hi, everyone. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Lana. um, And come see me Uh, right after the gathering. I'll be happy to meet some of the new faces that are here. Um, Like Andre said, welcome to those of you who are new. And um, before I start with the generosity prayer, I just want to say that this is something that we do. Um, It's not just going through the motions and reading some text on the slide, but It is um, something that we ask the Lord to reveal to us consistently. What is it that we are, um, how can we contribute to our church family? How can we contribute to our communities? Um, And your generosity um, honestly allows for that, uh, for the tangible needs to be met. And like Andre just shared, even the gift cards and um, in any way we could um, serve our community through our church, but also your time. Um, It can be you know, um, helping out a neighbor um, or just giving of your time to serve here or serve in any other place um, that um, the Lord has opened up the door for you to um, to be at and to minister to others. So as we uh, read through these slides, um, just consider what is it that the Lord is putting on your heart um, to be more generous with others. Um, Father in heaven, if you could, would just um, can read along with me. Father in heaven, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts, and serve him with renewed minds. Who, withstanding the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world, I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Thank you all. Well, now I want to introduce a person who is not a guest speaker here. He's our family. But he is, uh, his name is Leon uh, Pinkett, and he is here to continue our series called Habitus with um, a very important chapter of it um, called The Habit of Purity. Um, So, welcome, Leon, here, um, and would you be um, so kind to just greet him with a great round of applause?
2: For a second, I forgot that I had this on, and I was like, where are you going with the mic? I might need that. But um, I've been blessed um, watching uh, the uh, teachings over the past several weeks. Um, I'm wondering, was there a a time when um, everyone selected which topic they would have? And and being that I got parody, I figured that I got the short straw, (laughs) The, the topic that everyone wants to talk about. But, but if, if you don't mind just for a second, the, um, didn't the praise and worship team bless us this morning? We can do a little bit better than that. Didn't they bless us this morning? Um, as they were singing, I, I just couldn't help, um, as they were singing, Jesus paid it all, um, all to him I owe. And um, as I was sitting there, um, I don't know about you, but it, it's, it's just hard to hear that song. And not think about what he paid. I can't speak for you. You have to speak about what he paid. But I know personally what he did for me. And um, to think that um, in my sins and in my trespasses and my error and my waywardness, that God still loves you. That he still loves us. Um, Matter of fact, he loves us so much that, you know, nothing... And separate us from his love and i'm, I'm not even talking about the, the paid it all the forgiveness when i didn't know him i'm talking about when i should have known better and he still was calling me back he's still that open arms and love and so thank you praise and worship team for for reminding us that he paid it all yeah, uh, yeah he, he paid it all yeah. and and while I, I love my parents and I love my employers, um, and I love my wife, but it's to him I owe—I owe him everything um, because he gave all to me. And so um, I, I thank you all for allowing me that moment. I, I just—I'm um, I'm so gracious and so thankful for for the great gift that God extended to us through the shed blood of His Son Jesus Christ um we we couldn't have bought salvation if we had the mind to do it there, there there are no amount of resources available to us that we could have redeemed ourselves but from the foundation of the world he thought about me and he thought about you and when there was nobody else that could redeem us Jesus raised his hand <laughs> said send me father i mean he literally volunteered you know, send send me, Father. Um, I, I'll do it. Um, I'll drink of that cup that no one can drink from. And so I bless you today, God. Well, let let us pray, and we'll we'll get into our study. Lord, I thank you for your blessings today. God, you are so gracious and you're so merciful, Lord. I I Lord, I I was sharing with a friend, I. There was a time in my life where i couldn 't imagine myself standing before anyone talking about your goodness, and so God, I just thank you for an opportunity to speak about how good you are I, I thank you for an opportunity for you to speak through me, God, and so my prayer this morning is that I would decrease God and you would increase in me, God, and that oh God, your people would not come for form or fashion God, but Oh, God, they would be the better as a result of our time together, God, that we would leave this space more dedicated disciples, God, that we would leave this time with you more impactful witnesses, God, that when we leave these four walls, God, that that what has resonated here, what what has been shared here will resonate out where it means the most um, in the byways and the hedges where we are instructed to compel men. To come. And so we bless you today. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Um, it was once said that we should watch our thoughts for they become our words and we should watch our words for they become actions and watch your actions for they become habits and watch your habits for they become your character. And while there's no Consensus on the identity of the author of that previous quote. There is no debate about its reality. In my humble opinion, the validity of the statement rings true every day. We witness in our own lives, as well as the lives of others, how what we think becomes the substance of our conversation. Just a thought becomes what we repeat and what we say. Luke says it this way. In Luke chapter 6, verse 44, he says, for every tree is known by his own fruit. I guess that's the theme over these past weeks, this, this tree and this habitus. He says, for a thorn's men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. And Luke says it this way, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Matthew picks it up and says in Matthew 15, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And since our words are shaped by our thoughts, we are admonished in Proverbs to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And so not only do our thoughts become our words, what we say dictates our actions. Again, in Proverbs 23, verse seven, it says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what we do, it shapes our lifestyles, it it shapes our desires, our passions, our motivations. And how we live reflects to the world in our habits who we are. And for the believer, it's not just who we are, but whose we are. Second Corinthians chapter three says, ye are our epistles written in our hearts known and read of all men for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered by us written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. I remember um, when I would hear the late Elijah Cummings speak about young people, he would say that children are the letter that we're sending to um, a, a, a time or a future that we may never see. And so, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, envisioned us that we are letters to a time that he would never see. And so where they might not read Paul's writings, they're reading me and you and all of us every single day. And what kind of book, what kind of letter are we presenting to the world? Matthew chapter seven says, "Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Um, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And so as we study these habits that should be known of all Christians, it should be made clear that they become our introduction to the world. People should know us not so much by their accoutrements, or the symbols of our faith, but by the actions and deeds that are the fruit of our relationship with Christ. If the church as a fellowship of believers was a house, um, go with me for a second, um, it would not be our marketing or our music or our trendiness or any other strategy that we can develop or imagine that gives us our charm. It would be the sincerity, the credibility, the consistency with which we adhere to that lifestyle-forming, character-developing habits of the Christian faith that would be our curb appeal. For those who are Baltimoreans, we know this truth better than anyone. Just recently, it was reported that for the first time in a century, the population of Baltimore dipped below 600,000. For a city that maybe was it in the 50s or 40s, maybe had a million people, we're now below 600,000. And so in just the past decade alone, we've lost 40,000 residents. And while that should be staggering enough, all of this happened in a decade that sociologists and and urban uh, planners would call the the decade of the cities. Because if you look around the nation, all the other cities are growing in population, but Baltimore is declining. And a city that has been given the moniker of Charm City, those statistics don't bode confidence in um, its in our residents, because what the data doesn't say, but we know intimately, is that we can emblazon the words "Charm City" on every single bench at every single bus stop that you can find in the city. But words alone won't change people's perception or of Baltimore. It may change people's opinion of our mental capacity and grip on reality, but it won't change their perception of our city. Because, you see, they might visit for a few hours to work or play, but clearly they're not staying. And it's not the abundance of words that shape perception. It's the reality of the daily actions that give confirmation to what people perceive. People don't want us to tell them. They want us to show them. In a similar vein, people might visit and even join our churches because of their affinity for the atmosphere. I just love the atmosphere of that church or uh, that we, or a song we sing, or the charisma that we exude, but you can't sing enough to get people to confess their sins, or you can't have enough activities to get people to believe, or you can't market the ministry enough to receive, for people to receive salvation. In order for people to commit, and by commit, I mean to Christ, not to us, because, you know, we sometimes, we get comfortable with membership without commitment. In order for us to get people to commit to Christ, we need them to bear witness. Yet don't no mistake, we we are called to be the witnesses. Scripture supports that in Isaiah 43:10 it says ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe me. And understand that I am he, before me there was no God formed. neither shall there be after me. Acts 22.15 says, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men what thou hast seen and heard. Acts 1 and 8 be ye, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Baltimore and Baltimore County and Prince George's County and Howard County. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but you know what I mean. But truly, it is the fact that those who don't know the redeeming power of Christ are the ones who should bear witness. They need to be the witnesses to a transformation that has occurred in the life of a believer and the lives of a group of disciples, a change that is a stark contradiction to the tenets of the world and is attractive to a soul that is desirous of hope. See, we are witnesses so that they should be the ones who bear witness of what has happened in our lives. They should see a transformation that has occurred, and bear witness to it. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, "A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another." Matthew 5:14 says, "Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel." But on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers. Men, women should see uh, the good works that we accomplish in Christ Jesus and not pat us on the back, not give us glory, but glorify God the father. So this week, our study of Christian habits lands us on the topic of purity. And to to be specific as it relates to Christian habits, we're talking about sexual purity. Maintaining sexual purity means that we as Christians honor faithfulness to marriage partners and that we refrain from looking lustfully on others. A definition of purity is the condition or quality of being pure. Freedom from anything that debases, contaminates, pollutes, etc., And as I read that definition, I I believe that it's curious that when we look at the definition of purity, it stresses that to be pure means that that thing is free of something. Quite often when we think of the notions of sexuality in society, both now and in the past, the sentiment is the exact opposite. See, in our culture, sexual purity is considered restrictive and inhibiting everything but free. But the definition says to be pure means to be free of something. But our society would make us believe that being sexually pure is to be bond, in bondage, to be restrained. And on the other hand, sexual impurity is viewed as liberating and emancipating and, and, and the, the free. The truth remains that real freedom that is more Then a mirage can only be found in Christ. John chapter eight, verse 36 says, if a son, therefore, if the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It can't be taken away. It's not going to be, you know, God is not a repossessor. He doesn't come and he does not give us freedom. And then you got to watch it overnight to make sure that the guy does not pull up with the tow truck to take your freedom away. No, that's not the God that we serve. But God does have an expectation for sexual purity. And if I might, for a few moments, I believe some of that is highlighted in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and in chapter five of first Corinthians. And I I read verses one through two in your hearing. um, And it says it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named amongst the Gentiles. That one should have his father 's wife at verse two, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he have done this deed might be taken away from among you, so uh, there was a, a issue in the Corinthian church as it relates to sexual immorality. Um, the church may not have known it, but um, was in an unhealthy situation, as it relates to the, its response to sexual immorality, and so Paul writes. Um, as he typically does to give instructions, to give correction on what was happening in this church. And see what it appears that the Corinthians didn't realize is that purity is precious to God. It, it is valuable to God. It means something to him. And so what what do we typically do when we lose something that is of value and is precious? It, we, we usually don't celebrate it we usually are saddened or grieved well that wasn't the corinthians church response at all they they didn't treat this loss of purity um, in the way that um, we should respond to losing something of such significance and value scripture shows us that sexual purity is something precious and that it should be guarded and so the proper response from the Corinthians would, should have been sadness or mourning that of what happened amongst their ranks. But unfortunately, in the society that we live, um, our society is constantly trying to convince us that sexual purity or that purity isn't precious. It isn't valuable. It isn't something to be guarded It isn't something when lost that we should mourn. In our society, rather than mourn the loss of purity, we celebrate it as a conquest or a trophy, like holiness or carnality as some sport where those who conquer get trophies and make people out of trophies, make victims out of trophies. And we would hope that the issues of the world would not be the same as those experienced by the church that would be preferable um, but too often that's not the case the issues that we face as believers are the same as non-believers and the difference is supposed to be in our response yeah we face some of the same things that believers face we god didn't just save us and then rip us out of the world He left us here to be light and to be salt. So we're going to face the same things as long as we're in this flesh. But our response should not be the same as those who don't know Christ. We should not respond neither individually or corporately like those who are willfully walking in error. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. See, God has made provisions for us. And he says, but with the temptation, he will always, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So even when we are being tested and tried and tempted, God has a back door. He has an escape plan for us if we would take advantage of it. And so here in this fifth chapter in Corinthians, um, in this verse one, um, the, the, Paul is pretty much saying it has been reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even among, named amongst the Gentiles. Um, as I said read before, in the situation here in Corinthians, a father, I mean, a son is sleeping with his uh, stepmother. And Paul is saying, you are participating in things that not even the Gentiles are participating in. And what is going on here? And so if we're going to dig into what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we, ha- we have to ask to answer the question, um, why does sexual purity matter? And And what is sexual purity? And so... The Greek word translated for sexual immorality is the word pornea, which means fornication or sexual acts that are morally objectionable. And so any form of sexual behavior outside of marriage would be covered under this definition of pornea. And it is the same word, the same Greek word, where we get our English word pornography. And I don't have to. Define that because I can just use the uh, words of Justice Potter Stewart, who, when asked to define pornography, just said, "I know it when I see it." Well, we know immorality when we see it, but the Bible doesn't leave us to have to use our own eyes to determine what is the will of God and what's not in the will of God, because Galatians chapter five verse nineteen says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident." He says they're evident. He says that there's no mystery in this: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not will inherit the kingdom of God. A little bit of time. No, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, in Thessalonians 1, uh, chapter 4, he says, finally, then brothers, in verse 1, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so more and more for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. God has an expectation of us that is different from the world's mandates and the world's expectations. That we control our bodies, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So here in Corinthians, Paul's not just talking about sex outside of marriage. He's talking about everything from pornography, to self-gratification, to adultery, to sexual fantasies, and everything else under the sun. But when we talk about sexual purity, um, I believe that part of the reason that it's probably one of our least favorite subjects to talk about is because there is only one acceptable expression of sexuality. Sexuality is only expressed between a husband and a wife within the covenant bonds of marriage. Don't me. I didn't do it. (laughs) Don't blame me. Any other sexual expression is condemned by scripture and violates the pattern God has given. And as we look at these passages in this fifth chapter of Corinthians, Paul is literally saying to us that everywhere is talking about the church. He, that's what he's literally starting off his, his, his conversation with the, the church in Corinth. He's like, what's, what's going on? Everybody is talking about y'all. You're on the front page of every newspaper in Corinth. You're, you're the first thing on every newscast in Corinth. What is going on in the Corinthian church? You know, yeah, we were trying to become known so that we could win souls, but everybody knows y'all now. You're common knowledge. You're the talk of the town. And the shame of the matter is, is that people weren't talking about love that was coming out of the Corinthian church. They, they weren't talking about the grace of God. Um, they weren't talking about all of the good deeds that the Corinthian church was performing in the community and neither were they talking about the fellowship. They weren't talking about any of that. It, Paul's letter would have been completely different if the if that's what the town was talking about. No, they were talking about pornea Think about that for a minute. The whole town was abuzz about the church at Corinth. And none of the talk was about Jesus. Think about that for a minute. If in Baltimore, the whole town is talking about a particular church or just say the church of Baltimore. And none of the conversation is about Jesus. It's all about infidelity. It's all about sexual immorality. It's all about adultery and fornication. Nothing about the grace of God. Nothing. About the blood of Jesus like we sung earlier what message are we sending to the world what 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 is the world talking about when the world talks about gallery what is the world talking what is Baltimore talking about when they talk about gallery now we know that they're not talking about porn so let me get that straight Ellis in case you're watching (laughs) They're talking about the grace of God. They're talking about the habitus. They're talking about the habits, the Christian habits of believers. And the thing that makes this so amazing is because um, even, if you, even if you don't have a full knowledge of the history of Corinth at this time, you can imagine that the Corinthians, they weren't really living a, 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 a holy life, uh, even outside of the Corinthian church. Um, there, there was a lot of deviance going on in Corinth and there was a, a a, lot of the culture that was immoral immoral in Corinth. And so here you have this culture in the society in this city um, that is deviant and not seeking to please God or live in holiness, looking at the church of Corinth and mocking and scoffing and saying, look at them. They're no better than us. And so why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to God for us to be sexually pure and to, um, not be sexually immoral, um, And when we think about Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, it's amazing that he had to write a letter to a people. It it would have been bad enough if their sexual transgressions were um, those that were common to man here. The church in Corinth had performed acts that were worse than the people that they were trying or supposedly trying to witness to. What kind of witness, what kind of testimony, what kind of so, uh, social, societal, what kind of moral holiness lines did this church just step over and ignore um, when they had been planted there, they have been placed there to be a witness, to, to be a safe harbor, to be um, a lighthouse in a in a culture that was steeped in darkness. Where do people who are looking for hope go when the place that's supposed to have light is dim? And not only you know, it's easy for us to talk about Corinth, but if I took the names off of Paul's letter and added some some modern touches to it, this could be a, a, an account right now in our culture, in our society. Unfortunately, it could be um, an account of, of uh, a, a, a minister or a pastor, unfortunately, even in our nation. But God has established a standard for sexual morality, and Paul wants to make it clear that God has a standard. Um, he has an expectation of us. And his expectation is that we would be completely abstinent outside of marriage and and that we would have our bodies under control. Living as those who are set apart for Christ and that as those who are striving to honor him, um, that we aren't we're living in the freedom that is a part of being pure and that we're not bound or in bondage to our passions and our desires. That we've been called to treat our brothers and sisters with respect. That we've been called to treat our brothers and sisters with respect. That we've been called to holiness. Um, I come up. I came up in a, in a church where where holiness was considered wearing what they called a doily on your head and skirts to the floor. That wasn't holy at all. Because if the parents knew what happened. In the choir law for the old church, they would understand that if it ain't in the heart, no matter how long the skirt is or what the suit looks like, holiness is a commitment to God. Because if it's not, as soon as you get out of a, an what you consider to be an authority's eyesight, you will take on the trappings of the world. And so, if we um, reject the standard, if we um, reject the teaching that um, is a part of the holiness, the expectation, the sexual purity that God expects from us, um, we're not rejecting men. We're rejecting God. This isn't. Uh, this isn't a a disciple disciple maker relationship this isn't a pastor member relationship when we don't live wholly unto God when we aren't living um, in purity as God would desire for us to be um, when we don't practice the habits that we have gone and will continue to study over these past weeks it's not us rejecting men it's us saying God not I don't I, you are right in this lane, but don't come over in this lane, God. You know, yeah, I, I bring my offerings. We sing a good song. I, I I read my word, but don't don't stay. Don't come in this lane. That's the exact opposite of submitting ourselves to God. That That's the exact opposite of calling him Lord. How can we call him Lord and we don't submit and turn over to him everything? Either he is Lord of everything. Or he is Lord of nothing. Either God is Lord of everything in our lives. Or he is Lord of nothing in our lives. And he's not one who would break in. And. And and exert his authority. Either he's invited in. Or he doesn't come in at all. And so God is so gracious that even though He requires us to be pure and He requires us to be uh, express morality, um, sexual morality, God is the one who designed sex. He He designed for it to be pleasurable, but He also designed it in the context of a marriage covenant. And but when we reject God's design for sex, what we inadvertently do is we become a tool for our enemy to drive us away from God and to destroy our witness with man. And so I think we're pretty clear about what sexual purity is and what sexual immorality is. Um, But how do we have success in being and doing what God has called for us to do. How do we live a life that's pleasing to him? How do we live this life? Not just today as we're talking about um, purity, but all of the habits that God is calling us to. Um, how do we have success? So I, I, in my l- last few minutes, I'm going to talk about seven um Steps or seven ways for us to exhibit. Um, in this case, we're talking about um, purity, but really these can be attributed to any Christ-like characteristics. But I just want to um, highlight for you in, in my last few minutes seven steps or seven um, actions or characteristics, um, uh, things that we should um, um, seek to do in order. um, walk in uh, christ-like character and so the first is that we need to ask god through the holy spirit's guidance to help um, help our help us to will to do the right thing we need to ask god through the holy spirit's guidance through the holy spirit's leading to help us will to do the right thing romans chapter 7 verses 17 through 20 It says, now then it is no more that I, I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me. Can you hear the the conflict? The will is in me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Like I want to do what's right, God, but I, I need someone to show me how to do what is pleasing to you for the good that I would do. Or the good, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. Isn't this some crazy writing? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a bunch of doo-doo, but it, anyway. Now, now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And so the the, the conflict is that I want to do what's right but I keep doing the opposite. I want to do your will. Lord, guide me. Instruct me. Show me how to do your perfect will. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you. That, that's, that's the answer. It's God which worketh in you, in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is he, he's amazing. He loves us so much. He will give us the will to do his good pleasure. If we would lean and, and, and follow his spirit, 2 Peter 3, 9, because God loves us, he doesn't he, he does not slack concerning his promise. He doesn't, um, as some men count, slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward, because he doesn't want any of us to perish, but that we all should come to repentance. And so how do we um, allow the Holy Spirit to guide us so that our wills align with god's will um we have to do like in galatians 5 where it says this i say then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh we we, we've gotta we can't walk in our own carnality we've got to walk in his spirit for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would but if ye be led of the spirit we're no longer under the law We've got to be guided by the spirit. The second is we've got to submit our spirit to the spirit of God by asking him to fill us. We've got to submit our spirit to God by asking him to fill us. Ephesians 5 says, be not drunk with wine, which is, in, which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. First Corinthians 2 says, which things also we speak not in words, which man's wisdoms teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man receiveth not the things, the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that same chapter in Corinthians, it says for us now we have received not the spirit of the world. See, we can have success because we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So. In order to live a pure life, in order to um, walk under, walk by the Christian uh, characters, these habits even that we are speaking of, uh, we've got to walk in the Spirit. The third thing that we've got to do is we've got to resist the enticements of the flesh and Satan's wiles by confessing our sins and by claiming. Christ's crucifixion of the flesh. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says a question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Yeah, I know we believe that we are our own, but we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. For we've been bought with a price because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Therefore, we are obligated to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that we should obey it in the lust thereof. And neither should we yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but We should yield ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under the grace. We've got to resist the enticements of the flesh. The fourth thing is we've got to renew our minds by saturating it with the word of God. And this is right into one of the habits where we've got to study the word of God. John chapter 14 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you, and I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall also live. Later on in John, he says, these things have I spoken unto you, being ye present with you, but the comforter. So we've got to renew our mind by saturating it with the word of God. Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That comes through the word of God. That comes through his spirit. The fifth thing we have to do is we have to allow the Holy Spirit to control our emotions by producing the fruit of the spirit in us. Luke chapter six says, but I say unto you, which here love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, man, it's tough, but we've got to allow the fruit of the spirit to be produced in us. We've got to allow what Paul says in Philippians four, where he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men that the Lord is at hand. See, we are a witness. We are an example when this fruit of the spirit comes through us. And when we do that, we can be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known unto God. And that peace of God passes all understanding. It keeps our hearts and our minds. We're supposed to put on there for the as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy. We're supposed to put on kindness and humbleness and mind meekness, long suffering. We're supposed to have love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith. Because when we exhibit this, it shows that Christ has crucified the flesh in us with all of its affections and lust. If we are going to. Walk in purity and holiness. If we are going to exhibit the characteristics of Christ, we've got to allow the Spirit to control our emotions and produce the fruit of the Spirit. The sixth aspect is we've got to present our bodies to Christ as an instrument of righteousness. We read this earlier, but the old man is crucified, the body of sin might be destroyed, that we would not serve sin anymore. The Bible reminds us that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if that dwells in us, that he's raised up Christ from the dead, shall also quicken our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in us. We've got can't live after the flesh. We've got to die to the flesh. And we've got to through the spirit. We've got to mortify and crucify the deeds of the flesh so that we shall live. And lastly, um, and maybe most importantly, if we're going to live holy, if we're going to be pure, if we're going to exhibit these habits that we are practicing, that we are studying, that we are desiring to be a part of our daily life, of our walk with Christ, we've got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. First John 2 says, I write unto you, little children, um, in verse 12, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the father. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's the way to be pure. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world, it will pass away, and the lust thereof. But the person, we who do the will of God, abide forever so. In closing, Mark 12, verse 29, and Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is here, ye, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And right after that, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How do you walk in purity? Love, the God, love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor, as thyself, and this, there is none other commandment greater than these. And so there is hope. Often, when we talk about parity, it appears that it is a. Often talked about in the context that this is a hopeless pursuit. No. It is a worthwhile pursuit. It is about um, loving God more than we love our flesh. It is about loving God's will more than our own will. And so let us pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word, God. We thank you for your love that you've shown to us, God. Um, how freely you have shared your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, it is our desire to walk in parity, it is our desire to. Walk in sexual morality. It is our desire to be the salt of the earth, to be the light, to be that city that is set on the hill. Uh, that we might bear witness of your goodness, that we may bear witness of your faithfulness, of your, your keeping power. And so, God, we thank you today for your word, because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that abides in us and guides and leads us. Oh, God, so we lean on your word. Oh, God, we listen to your instructions from your spirit. And as a result, God, we claim victory. Oh, God, in this Christian walk. We claim victory in our witness in the area of purity. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. And if we would at this time, we'll be favored by the praise and worship team if they come back and and bless us with another selection. God bless you.
3: us in the word. Um, we're so thankful to um, have him come alongside us whenever we can um, pull him away from his other responsibilities in, in the city and um, among God's people. So we're just so grateful, brother, for uh, for you being with us. And uh, I guess you did maybe draw the short straw, but I think the fact that uh, that Pastor Ellis um, entrusted you with this this topic just speaks so highly of um, his trust in you, and we're just so grateful for uh, for your word this morning. So thank you again but you did, someone stole my music (laughs) so you stand with us one more time as we um, just respond to this word um, in worship once again Be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is a lie. I wanna hear voices of angels above singing as one, hallelujah. bones, Living again Singing as one before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand. Dreams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it mount of thy rejoice
1: Thank you so much, the praise and worship team. You've done such a great job. Um, Honestly, The Great I Am is one of my favorite songs. And um, it just, especially after what Leon taught about, um, I think it kind of just spoke um, where the solution is to the challenge, you know. And um, there's literally nothing that can stand against us because there is nothing that can stand against God himself. Um, So just... As we are processing and um, before we, um, I think everybody should have the communion cup, but um, if you don't, just raise your hand and Andre will um, give one to you. But before we proceed with the communion itself, I was just um, so convicted by um, just the message and even the worship said, again, um, Andrew, thank you, um, the um, The meaning of communion and just like the generosity prayer that we read, it is not just something that we go through the motion with. It is um, understanding that communion is part of worship, understanding that living the, the life of purity is part of worship to God. And um, as we um, take communion, as we take the body and the blood of Christ, we are inheriting once again every week, every time that we do it, we are inheriting that symbol of his power, that symbol of his goodness and um, understanding of him more and more. So um, as we take this cup, um, just ask God, where is it that we are not surrendered today? Uh, Where is it in our heart that something is like Leon said, you're good over here, God, but don't come into this lane. This is all me. This is in control. I'm good over here. Uh, we all have that. Don't kid yourself that you don't. And um, I just challenge you to, um, just even right now, to close your eyes as we take communion and ask God, where is it that I'm not surrendered, Lord? And how can I, how can we do that? Um, and I actually forgot my own communion cup. Could you <laughs> um so i'll be reading from uh first corinthians 11 thank you um so the key to these little cups if you've never done it it's open with the cracker first the side with the cracker first don't be like me when i open the the wine side first um so for i pass on to you what i received from the lord himself on the night when he was betrayed the lord jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. And said this is my body. Which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we can now take the body. altogether. together. In the same way. He took the cup of wine. After supper. Saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we usually hold up the cup to one another, to your neighbor, and say, this is his blood, which was spilled for you. And now, just like the scripture said, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. Thank you, guys. Amen.